Wake up! Yeah, if you somehow manage to fall asleep in between the gospel and sitting down, that's a very big problem. But every year, that is the message of Advent, is wake up, awake. It is one of my favorite times of the year, perhaps the favorite time of year, because it's a a neat little four-week period where we get to take stock, take inventory, and how have I been living And how does that measure up to the dignity that God has created in me? The the way that he is calling me to live. Where am I going and do I need to change direction? What are my habits and where do I need to maybe uh, tweak them a little bit? I also like it because it allows for expansion upon a certain theme over the course of four weeks of preaching. And so last year... Does anybody remember what we went over during Advent? It was a whole year ago. That's right. All of you are thinking cardinal virtues. Yes, that's what we went through. Well, the cardinal virtues are beautiful things. They are, they are at the natural level the way that we can uh, live a good and moral life. But Christianity is about more than just a naturally good life. No, the the beauty of Christianity is that we get to live at the level of supernature. And so this Advent, I'd like to go through the three theological virtues of faith, hope, and love. We call them theological virtues because they are gifts from God. On a natural level, yes, I believe. I, I can believe the word of another if I find them to be trustworthy. On a natural level, yes, I can hope. I can hope that a good thing will happen. On a natural level, I can love. I can feel a certain level of affection for another. I can will their good. But at the supernatural level, where I believe the self-revelation of God Almighty and get to know Him as He is through faith, to be able to hope for more than this life, but for life eternal, to be able to love not just in a natural manner, but in the manner Christ displayed on the cross with a supernatural self-gift. That's something that we need God's grace for. But thankfully, he gives it freely. If faith, hope, and love are not some exam that, that God gives us of, well, have you had faith, and hope, and love? No, they are his free gifts that he gives us because he knows that without his help, we're not going to be able to do it. But I said there are four weeks of Advent, and I just listed three things. So am I going to give you an off week that I'm not going to preach? No. <laughs> you can't be that lucky. No, instead, just as in this Advent wreath we have four candles, but one of them is not like the others, so we're going to have faith, hope, and love, but in the middle of that we're going to speak about the effect of living a life of faith, hope, and love, which is joy. That pink candle is meant to bring to our minds that joy of Christ even in the midst of darkness. Well, so... The way we're actually going to go about it is faith, hope, joy, and then love. So let's get started with faith. It's not by chance that this week we start with faith and that in the reading from St. Paul to the Romans, he says to us, it is the hour now for you to awake from sleep. Because the difference between one without faith and one with faith is the difference between one who is asleep and one who has woken up. 
Because just as you are still alive when you're asleep, but you're not conscious of what's happening, of the deep realities around you. You can't see, you can't hear, you can't feel and be conscious of all of the things happening. So it is when we live without faith, we can't see God moving. We can't hear his word. We can't listen to his direction, his gentle guidance. We're closed off to it. But, but faith gives us that ability to see through a new set of eyes. What do I mean by that? Well, I forget who the thinker was. I'm sure you all could tell me. I think it was Isaac Newton said that he got to where he got because he was standing on the shoulders of giants. He was able to see as far as he could because of the people who came before him. Because he believed in what they had found. Because he, he uh, set his mind to understand what was already revealed through scientific exploration. He was able to see that much further. He had to take some of these things on faith. Then once he thought, you know what, that makes sense. He applied his reason to it and was able to say like, oh, okay, yes. I can take them at their word because they have proven themselves to be trustworthy. Well, that's what we do with faith. But instead of standing upon just the research of some scientists who have come before us, we're able to see with the very eyes of God. We're able to take his self-revelation and say, okay, I'm going to trust you. You know why? Because you've proven yourself eminently trustworthy. Friends, nobody can be as trustworthy as the person who says, I would rather die than to have you suffer. I would rather die than to have you be separated from me forever in heaven, or by not being in heaven. He's proven his trustworthiness. And he's given us this, this beautiful mind that is capable of taking him at his word, but then applying reason to see, is what he's saying reasonable? And so faith and reason actually go together. Faith is taking something upon a person's word. It's to say, you know what, I accept that because I know that you are trustworthy in this. But at no point during that do you shut off your brain and say, and so I'm not going to think about it. No, you say, because you, Lord, are revealing this, and you're also the one who gave me this brain in my head, I'm going to also think through it. First of all, I'm going to say, yes, Lord, I trust you. But then I'm going to apply my reason to try and understand what it is that he is revealing. That's the way it works in every relationship. And at the end of the day, faith is a relationship more than anything else. Whenever I celebrate a wedding here and I'm standing there and there's a bride and a groom googly eyed at each other, just looking deep into each other's eyes, seeing the future of their lives there. There's a lot of faith. Because when she hears him say, I do. When she hears him vow his life to her, she has no proof of that. There isn't a scientific way to measure, is he going to love me? No, that relationship is built on faith. The faith that the bride has for the groom and the groom has for the bride. That they will be, or at least strive to be, true to one another. That's how friendships work too. Can you imagine living life not trusting anyone, not taking anything on faith? Somebody tells you their name and you're like, I doubt it. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's who you really are. How are you doing today? Good? Mm -mm. Nope. Show me proof that you're doing well. If you lived your life that way, you would have zero relationships. And I've made that point before, but I'll keep making it. 
On a natural level, we have so much faith. On the supernatural level, faith is the way that we connect to God and have a relationship with Him. Faith is what takes that leap from Him just being the first cause of all things, that that philosophical first cause that we know had to exist to set the universe into motion. It takes Him from being that to being Father. Faith allows me to have that trust in Him, to know Him as He reveals Himself. I need faith to, realize, to, to trust you when you tell me how you're doing on the, in, the, the, the internal side of things. right? I, I can never know what's going on in your soul unless you reveal that to me. I will never know what happens in the mystery of God himself unless he reveals that to me. And he has. But like the folks in the time of Noah, I might not be listening. Right, Because faith allows us to wake up from being asleep to the things of God. It allows us to have this relationship of trust with him to where we say, okay, I'm still going to be thinking about things, but I am willing to first take you at your word and then let my understanding catch up. But it's kind of like the Noah situation. Can you just put yourself in his shoes for a little bit? He receives this revelation from God. And he starts building that ark. And that ark wasn't built in a day. No, no, those weeks and months and years. That he is doing this work that seems ridiculous to his neighbors. And they say, what a fool you are. I don't see any clouds in the sky. I don't see any reason for you to be uh, worried about this. What proof do you have that God really spoke to you? And he got that scorn and he got that ridicule, but still he invited people. He said, believe me. Believe me as I believe the Lord. But they wouldn't. How often do we feel like that? How many times are we before family members? I mean, we just had Thanksgiving. Uh, We are before family members or friends who don't believe and scoff at our belief. Who say, oh my gosh, you still go to church? Like, come on. You, You should be beyond that by now. What has God done for you? Right? You still have aches and pains. You still have illness. You still have deaths in the family. God hasn't been listening to your prayers. Why don't you just give up on it? They're asleep to God's movements. They're like those neighbors of Noah that would have nothing to do with the ark. But you are called to live a life of faith. Where you are able to have a relationship with trust, of trust with the Lord. Where you're able to know him as he is and who you are in his sight because you take him at his word. You're able to stretch your reason beyond where it would ever go on its own because first you believe and then you let understanding catch up. But of course, none of us can be in that boat unless we actually take time to study our faith. Very often we spend, we use this magnificent instrument that we have of our brain on so many other things and so seldom on the things of God. Well, we have four weeks to do differently. Because that second part of the gospel, it should kind of uh, make us a little uncomfortable. After Jesus talks about the times of Noah, what does he say? He says, be sure of this. If the master of the house had known the hour of night when the thief was coming, He would have stayed awake and not let his house be broken into. 
Now you hear that and you're like, Jesus, are you comparing yourself to a thief? Like, talk about mixed metaphors. Come on, God. Like, keep it simple for us. But you know what he means there? If you have not gotten to know the Lord through faith, through a life of trying to, uh, to really learn how God has revealed himself in Scripture, in the teachings of the church, to ask those tough questions and then actually look for answers, then when God comes, it'll feel like a thief coming to steal from you everything you ever wanted. You will not be able to welcome God with open arms and say, I've longed for you so much. I've tried to learn about who you are from how you've revealed yourself. Instead, you will say, get away from me. I do not know you. You are a thief come to steal my life, and I will have none of it. The way that God changes from being a thief to being a friend Because a friend can knock at any hour. And even though you might be surprised, even though you weren't expecting your friend, you have a smile on your face and you say, oh, I'm so happy to see you. How does God change from being a thief to being a friend? Faith. If we have this life of faith where we're nourishing that faith by learning more and more about who God is, of taking him at his word and trying to help him to uh, allow him to guide our lives, He becomes that friend that we long for. And of course, a part of that is what I mentioned, asking the tough questions. Very often, we stagnate in our faith because we don't want to ask a question that we think we won't find a good answer to. We we prefer to just not think about it too deeply. I'm just going to go through some of the motions, and I'm not going to be too bad, and I'm not going to be too holy. I'm just going to live my life better than them, and so we'll be all right. Because we're scared that we'll have a doubt that there isn't an answer to. But that's because we're limiting ourselves to our own thinking. We think, well, I have this question and I haven't been able to come up with an answer. And since I'm obviously brilliant, there must not be an answer if I didn't think it up. Instead of realizing for 2,000 years, people have had the same thoughts as you. The same doubts, the same life experiences The same heartbreaks. And they've turned to the Lord. And they have written down their experience. You have a wealth of answers at your disposal. But have the courage to ask the questions. If you want resources for it, the the easiest resource you could ever ask for, catholic.com. That's literally the website of Catholic answers, but they have answers to so many different questions that you may have. We have these four weeks. And yeah, we can go through the catechism, we can go to the Bible study, we can go to catholic.com, we can go to form.org, we have so many resources, but my challenge for you is simpler than all of that. We have four weeks. What are there four of in the sacred scriptures? Gospels, exactly. Well, there's our homework, friends. Four weeks of Advent. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We get to know the face of Christ, looking at Him, gazing upon Him from four different angles, hearing four different versions of that one beautiful story that is God made man for love of us. If we get to know Him in the Scriptures, He ceases to be this thief that wants to steal our joy and becomes this friend that is the source of our joy. Let us nourish our faith during these days by meeting Christ in the scriptures, meeting Christ in the mass, growing in our faith, and journeying toward life eternal.